It's that time of the week for your African football fix. Welcome to the On The Whistle podcast. I'm your host, Zayn Nabi. Joining me today in the starting lineup are the regulars. You know them. Courtney Fries, former Premier Soccer League winner with Manning Rangers in South Africa. He's flanked by Kingfoot.com editor, our very own North African football expert, Ahmed Youssef. And rounding out that front three is going to be Francis and Quain Yawunda's finest, a sports marketing media executive who also founded the Best of Africa Awards. And today we have a very special guest. As a player, starred in Ireland at Derry City, played in Spain, played in Belgium. He managed Orlando Pirates, the African Giants in South Africa, as well as Silver Stars and Platinum Stars, where he won a Telcom Knockout Cup. He worked in the Bafana Bafana system as an interim head coach an assistant coach, and also guided the team to the 2016 Rio Olympics. Now he coaches at Highlands Park in the PSL. It's the one and only Owen Zhao Cornelius da Gama. Owen, so good to have you on the pod. Thank you very much. Uh, it's an honor being with you guys. It's really a great pleasure being an African, um, sharing my experiences with, um, you know, my African brothers. And uh, thank you for making such a platform um, possible, because I think we've got a lot of stories to tell in, you know, from Africa. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm just I'm just so thrilled and honored to, to, to be on your uh, podcast um, meeting. Uh, Owen, um, I'd like to just start off with a few questions, if we could, please. Just going back to the introduction that Zane has given, looking specifically at your name, um, your name has got quite a bit of heritage of maybe Mozambique, Zimbabwe, link. Do you want to give, uh, not Zimbabwe, um, Portugal, do you want to give us a bit of a, um, a bit of history around that? Yeah, look, um, I was very fortunate that my grandfather had a, a diary uh, of Vasco da Gama. Um, I did not see it, but my father uh, saw it. Uh, so I'm, I'm basically a 14th generation from Vasco da Gama. Um, when he discovered the sea routes to, to India, I think 1498, um, his son remained behind um, in Mozambique. And um, that's where we, our branch came from. Yeah. Um, he met a, uh, he was, met another Portuguese guy who had a lot of shops um, in, in the north of, of South African Limpopo. And, and my great, great grand, grandfather then happened to, to uh, um, join him. And they went and they opened up a shop just close to where we still have a farm in Limpopo, which I, inherited as the only son and that shop is basically the foundation of the shop is still there so yeah it's a long history uh, coming from um, from portugal mozambique and um, my grandfather my great-grandfather actually got married to a tsonga woman the shangan woman yeah. so i've got some some portuguese blood in me i've got some black blood in me yeah. and um on the other side, my mother, um, my mother is actually uh, my mother's parents were Scottish, so my mother is white. She's still alive. God bless her. She's still alive. Um, 
So I'm just a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm just a mix of Portuguese, Tonga, which is African, and, 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 and the Scottish blood. So that's, that's where it's actually started. Oh, that's fantastic. And the good thing is that you're able to trace your heritage back to and still have the farm in Limpopo. That's fantastic. Uh, coming into the football side of it, because when I was looking at your history, I'm looking at a lot of play in Europe. Belgium, Spain, Ireland, uh, during the times of apartheid. Can you just give us a bit of a brief, how were you able to move during those times uh, that you were able to go overseas? And then if you can go into your football where it started uh, overseas as well. Yeah, I think it was actually, it was actually a blessing in disguise that South Africa were not part of, of FIFA at the time, because I didn't even need a clearance to, you know, to go to Belgium. What happened at the time I was playing for a team called Dynamos and uh, there were scouts out from Belgium that came to watch. They didn't come to watch Dynamos per se, but they came to watch Orlando Pirates and Kaiser Chiefs who at the time, who are still the, you know, the two biggest teams in, in South Africa. And I happened to play against Kaiser Chiefs. Uh, they came, they didn't, and I didn't even know, we didn't even know there were scouts there. Played against Kaiser Chiefs. Uh, I scored a hat-trick against Chiefs. And then uh, the following week, we played against Bushbucks, who were then the eventual league winners with Clyde Barker. I don't know if you remember the time when uh, Bushbucks with Calvin Peterson, Clyde Barker, that group of players. Uh, they were top of the log. We were, I think, fourth on the log. Uh, we happened to beat them as well, 2 0. I scored both goals then. And then uh, the, the, the third week, we played against Orlando Pirates at Orlando Stadium. And uh, I scored again a hat trick against the London Pirates. So that was, it was just a, it was just a great period for me. And uh, I was under no pressure because I didn't even know there were scouts, but they actually come to watch the top teams. They came to watch Chiefs where, you know, I was very fortunate that I performed well. They came to watch Bushbuck from the top of the log at the time. And they came to watch the London Pirates who was also, uh, they were also, they were big team. And I just happened to be, and they, they actually came to me after the Pirates game and said, no, you, you know what? You actually caught our eye. We had not come to see you. We'd come to see some big players. And, uh, but you, you've done well. And uh, we'd like to invite you for trials um, in Belgium. And uh, I jumped at the opportunity. It was just, you know, they say there's a lot of luck in football. And I agree so much with it because I've played with so many great players never made it to the professional league and uh, I think I was just one of the very fortunate ones to have had the opportunity to play and you know uh, to perform well at the time I was just at the right time at the right place with the right performance and that's how I got to to Belgium. What was it like you know the first experience of um, going to Belgium having yeah, you've not lived abroad before. Do you go on your own? And what was the coaching and the football like? How was that different to what you were used to? It was it was like chalk and cheese, you know, to what we used to in South Africa. Um, uh, you know, I arrived. Uh, it was the first time I'd left South Africa. I've been to the neighboring countries, you know, Swaziland, Zimbabwe, but I've never been out of Africa. And it was my first experience flying for 13 hours. And at the time, I flew from South Africa to Luxembourg, and 
then uh, from Luxembourg, I took a flight to, to, to Brussels. And um, I'd never been in a plane for 13 hours. I mean, it was a nightmare to me. I was, <laughs> it was really uh, uh, an experience, but my, my, my optimism and my enthusiasm and, you know, and, and the world to play was so big that, you know, all those things just, I just side, I just put them on the side. And um, the same day I arrived the morning at half past eight and I was training two hours later. So it's an hour's drive from Brussels to Antwerp. And um, the manager came to collect me. He took me straight to training and he introduced me to the coach. And um, the manager actually made a joke and said, would you like to train? Um, the, the coach said, no, 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 this guy's from, a, he's just uh, flown from, from Africa 13 uh, hours and no, 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 he'll start tomorrow. And I just said, no, I will train. I want to train, you know, and uh, I did not know that that's, uh, that would, would, would leave a lasting impression on the coach, you know, and I said, no, I want to train. And I was still like jet lagged. I was still like, you know, lightheaded and I, um, and they gave me kit and I went and I started training. And um, it's, it's the best decision that I've ever made in my life. You know, I never looked for excuses. And on the same day, there were two Brazilians that arrived there, a guy called Claudio uh, de Oliveira and Nelson de Silva. They also arrived with me at the same time. And they, and they refused to train. They said, no, no, we're tired, we'll train tomorrow. But I, uh, I had not known that, that they had refused because maybe I would have also refused out of solidarity for them. But I did not know that. I just said, no, I want to train. I'm going to train. And um, it actually left a, a, a hell of an impression on the coach and on, on the rest of the team. And um, fortunately enough, it was not a very hard training session. So um, I got through the session and, uh, you know, it, it, it was a great start for me. Uh, that's wonderful, Owen. I, can we just get into a few, like, minor details? We, we, we know the conditions we face in South Africa constantly, where it is always great. Uh, what was it like? Um, were, were the kits you handed? Were you going from multi to six stud? You know, things that are sometimes people take for granted, but for players are huge factors as well. The language too, that's something that I know Kirsty oh. Tao has spoken about. He had trouble learning French at Club Rouge. Is, is that something that you found difficult to build on Courtney's question? Fortunately enough, uh, with regards to the language, they speak um, Flemish in, in, in Antwerp, which is, which is Dutch. And Afrikaans is quite close to, to, to Dutch. So it wasn't a major problem to me. It was just a matter of getting used to the mannerisms and, and, and the pronunciation and uh, and, and their way of, of, of speaking it. So it wasn't a big challenge, although um, the majority of the team were actually French, you know, French speaking. So that was a bit of a nightmare when they speak to each other, I couldn't understand what they were saying. So that was a bit of a, a, a problem, but in general, the coach was a Dutch guy called uh, Ekelboom from, from, from Holland. So he generally spoke uh, Dutch, which was, which was quite good. Um, the manager, everybody else spoke Flemish, Dutch, which is Dutch. In fact, I was so naive that I went to a local bookstore looking for a Flemish uh, um, dictionary. And they said to me, there's no such a thing, it's Dutch, you know, it's just a, a dialect. So 
So it, it, it was, it, you know, with regards to the language, I think it wasn't too bad, um, but the weather was terrible. I mean, it was raining when we arrived there and uh, the guys were just, it, you know, it was like nothing to them. And then, um, but another thing that, the first, the, the first thing that, that I experienced also was the, the naivety of the, the European people towards uh, African, uh, you know, they really thought I'm from the bush, really from the bush, you know, and- um, what, what do you mean by that, Owen? They, you know, the, the guy took out um, a pair of uh, six studs, studded boots, you know, the, the, uh, and he said to me, you see these studs, you can turn them off and you can replace them. And, and, and I thought it was, you know, and I explained to him uh, that, you know, you know, we, we've got these boots in South Africa. We've got the very same thing there. All throughout Africa, we've got this, you know. And, uh, but, but they really, and the guys were asking me, have I ever been chased by a lion? Have I ever experienced um, an elephant? You know, have I, how close have I been to an elephant, you know? So I think they, they, they were a bit naive with regards to, South Africa or Africa as such. Um, that was the first impression I got. So it was, it was quite a task to convince them that, you know, we, we're from a, a first world country, you know, or more or less a first world country where we're used to a lot of the things. Um, um, then the weather was, 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 was my biggest challenge. Um, as you said, Courtney, the, the, it was a great question. The weather was something that I had to deal with. Um, um, I remember just reading an article, uh, I'd read an article, one of the, one of the great players in South Africa um, from Hellenic, called Carlos Desneves, I don't know if you remember him, uh, Courtney, great player, unbelievable, that guy could have played for Liverpool, Barcelona, any team, he was just an unbelievable player. He had gone to Portugal and he had come back home to, to South Africa because weather was too bad. He couldn't, he couldn't deal with the weather there. And um, so I, I just put my foot down and I said, you know, no matter what happens, I'm going to make it in Europe. Weather, no weather, language barriers, cultural ba barriers, whatever there is, food, whatever it is, I'm going to make it. I'm not going back home, uh, you know, and, and, and use the weather or the food or the language or anything as an excuse. I'm going to make it. And um, I was, I was really, really, um, uh, 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 I was focused on making sure that I make it no matter what the conditions are. And I, I've never spoken, it's the first time really, I've been interviewed so many times on, on big shows in South Africa, on television, I've never been asked that question. And um, it has never been an, an, an issue to me, you know, I, I made sure that, you know, you acclimatize wherever you go, make sure you to make it work. Um, Owen, oh, that's that's fantastic. You know, uh, I I know players normally have huge difficulties uh, traveling from one continent to the other. Uh, but just continuing into uh, the, the, the backstory of yourself, playing in Belgium, moving on to other countries like Ireland and Spain. Do you want to just lead us into that as well, please? Yeah. Um, I got to Belgium um, and I got there on a free transfer. I didn't even need a clearance from South Africa, you know. And uh, so I was basically the cheapest foreigner they had. All, we were five foreign players. We could only play three. But 
I was the youngest and I was the cheapest. And I think they looked at me as a, a future prospect. They looked at me as an investment for the future. Um, they, they always, you know, the first thing that the coach picked up was my pace, my speed. Um, uh, you know, you know, that was my main asset. Um, and, uh, I, I think something that I thought was an asset to me at the time, especially in a country like Belgium was my skill. I thought my skill is going to mesmerize these guys. They're going to be so, um, uh, 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 happy and so impressed with my skill. And that was the opposite, it was the opposite. You know, I remember dribbling about five, five, six guys at training. And one of the defenders came and just took me out. He just kicked the living daylights out of me and he kicked me off the park. And I mean, it was, it was off the ball off, you know, I passed the ball already. And the coach came back to me and he says, yeah, this is what you get. There's no monkey business here in, in, in Belgium. There's no dribbling. There's no all these type of things. Uh, yeah, we play straight, straightforward football. And I was actually very, very disappointed. Very, very disappointed because I thought that the, the skill that I used was not a skill of jumping over the ball and staying on one place. It was eliminating players going forward, you know. And um, unfortunately, it was not appreciated at the time. And um, I, then, I then had to adapt. And it, it was a great lesson for me um, that, you know, if a coach wants you to play in a certain way, you've got to adapt and play, you know, the way the coach wants you to play. Um, and then I, I played in Belgium. I was there for two seasons um, in and out of the team, giving me an opportunity to play from time to time. Um, then they gave me the, then an opportunity came. Uh, we played against um, uh, Lyon. And um, in a friendly match, and I mean, those are the matches where they throw you into play. And um, there was a guy at Leon called Noel King. He, he, he was about to retire and he was going to take up a, a, a job in Ireland at Derry City. He played against them. He was, he was very impressed. And I don't know, uh, at a later stage, he came back after being appointed. Um, and he spoke to management and he asked them, could he, he loan myself and Nelson De Silva, the Brazilian guy, could we come on loan just to help him build the team and get things going at Derry City? And uh, Derry City had a fantastic following. I mean, uh, the biggest club in Ireland with regards to following. Um, they were there 50, 60 buses traveling to, to away matches. And as you know, Derry City was, was based in Northern Ireland, but they were playing in the League of Ireland in a different country. And, uh, you know, that was a, a, a massive thing for the dairy people after the team had been banned. The team had been banned. There were these Sagittarian wars that were going on, you know, with the Catholics and the Protestant teams and all that. And I think an incident happened at Derry where one of the buses of the opposition got burned and Derry City were banned from the Irish League. Uh, and then they went to the League of Ireland. And um, so there was a, a big hype in Derry City on the return of Derry. Um, into football and uh, Noel King was the new coach and he brought myself and Nelson De Silva in and it was just a fantastic, it was a change of scene for me from going to a team where I was, I was viewed as a future prospect where I'd play the occasional game, I'd be on the bench, I'd, they were grooming me, I played uh, most of all of the reserve games against all the other teams 
Um, and now coming in and I'm a, a starter and, 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 and the people at Dairy City are making a big thing out of um, this Owen de Gama guy and the Nelson de Silva guy. And we also had a, 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 a Scottish player uh, from Hearts who, who came in with us, um, Stuart Gold. So, so this was a, a, a big thing for them. And uh, they were really, really, there was a lot of excitement in Dairy City. And um, it just it just went on to be probably one of the most fantastic journeys I've had in football, um, where I was top goal scorer, I was player, uh, the Irish player of the went on, I became the Irish player of the year. Um, it was just fantastic. And as you mentioned, the fan club and uh, scoring in the cup final a hat trick and it's a very, very rugged game, very rugged game, very hard, very physical. Um, and, uh, you know, my, my adaptation in Belgium really helped me a lot in Belgium. Uh, but the coach appreciated the skill going forward. Um, and uh, that really, really motiv motivated me a lot. And I had the Brazilian guy, Nelson, who really, who really made me look better than I was. He was a fantastic player. He just gave me the through balls. I just he'd eliminate, give me, I just beat one or two players and I'd score. So a lot of a lot of my success came from my teammates. Um, but it was really a, a, a great moment in, in Derry. Then uh, we went the second season again to the cup final. Um, and um, uh, we lost one 0 in the in the final um, in Dublin. And um, it was a sad day for me only to find out there's a team called Figures from Spain that uh, showed a lot of interest and they just wanted to buy me. They had done their research, they had done their homework and no matter the result, and I don't think on the day I particularly had a very good game, um, but, on, but they, they had just made up their minds that they, they, they buying me and the deal was concluded after the game. I went with, with my bag and my blazer, I went into the VIP area and met with the chairman of, of, of Figueres and the coach and some other officials from Figueres with our officials. And they'd done the deal. They'd done the deal already after the match. And um, I was actually excited, uh, went back to, to Derry. There was a big farewell at the town hall where I did the most strangest thing in the world, start undressing and throwing my blazer into the crowd. It was- <laughs> now beautiful, What a beautiful sight. Oh, no, no, no. Even, even my pants, I had to stand with a gown there. And it was, it was really, now that I think of it, it was very immature, you know, it was <laughs> really stupid. You only <laughs> live once, Owen. Yeah, but it was, it was a great experience. Then I went on to figures. Um, uh, two weeks later, I, I uh, because I'd been invited by the county, uh, the Derry County cricket team, a professional team, to, to be a guest there. And I'd last played cricket at, at high school. So, and I had this in my mind that I can play cricket. No, I, it's, it's easy, man, it's easy. And I went there and I practiced once with them. There were, I think, six bowlers. I didn't hit one ball, eh? I didn't hit one ball. And I said, no, guys, um, I'll, I'll come to training tomorrow. And those balls flew so fast past me, it was just unbelievable. And I said, guys, I'll see you tomorrow. And I never went back. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> you 
it would have been so embarrassing, you know, so embarrassing. Um, so I, I basically, then I went to Manchester where the Spanish embassy was. I applied for my um, visa. They gave me, they, they, they would not give me a work permit, but they gave me a visitor's visa. I went to Spain. I, I spent a month there. Um, it was unbelievable. Just a great, uh, figure it's about 100 kilometers from, from Barcelona. Um, at the time, they were in the, in the, in the first division. And I mean, they set me up with an, 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 a nice villa, a nice place to live. I had a car with a driver. Uh, I started with a, with a language, they were going to start me. Uh, I started a little bit, with, I met the teacher that was gonna teach me uh, um, Spanish. It was just such a professional setup at that level already. Imagine, you know, the Barcelonas, that's another story. But it was such a, a high level at that, at, at, at that stage. Came, then I came back to South Africa. Um, sorry, Owen. Sorry to just cut. What year are we talking about? Because the professionalism are you talking about there is very high so early on. So I think it was 89, 89, if I'm not mistaken, 89. Um, but anyhow, um, it was really, it was really at another level. I've never, I've never seen anything like that. Um, the training, everything was just. But it was off season, so they were not training yet. Um, uh, and um, they were just trying to set me up so that I can get everything right and so on. Came back to South Africa, and then uh, I had to await my, um, my work permit. But just as it may be, um, uh, uh, there were a lot of difficulties with the work permit. I, I eventually got another um, uh, uh, visa to go, a holiday visa. I went there. I started pre-season with them. Um, we, had a, we had a great uh, uh, pre-season there. It was just, it was just fantastic. Uh, I was just, I was just going to another level consistently. They were the skill. They were just happy about my my ability to eliminate players, my speed, um, my humility. Because I mean, after training, I'd actually carry the balls. I'd carry the water bottles. I'd make sure I help. You know. I didn't make myself this foreign player coming in trying to be better than everybody else. I just, I just humbled myself. And maybe this this is a good lesson for our youngsters when they go. You know, I was collecting the balls. I was carrying the balls. I was picking up the bubs while other players are going to shower. I'd be the last to shower. Um, I'd be the first one at training. I'd help to unpack the balls. So it was really, it was really going to a very, very high level. I had to come back to South Africa to to wait for my uh, work permit, um, but you know, I did not, I, I I was not aware. I did not, I did not have an agent at the time. Um, I did everything by myself and with, with the help of the Figueres uh, management. And um, then my work permit was denied actually denied because there was a sports embargo against South Africa. No South African, I remember there was a, Ernie, not Ernie else. Um, I'm trying to think of the, uh, the golf. Gary Player? Gary Player? No, no, it was not Gary Player, it was after Gary Play, Player. Um, uh, I'll, I'll, get, I'll get to his name, but he was actually, there was a tournament in, in Spain and he was actually refused entry as well. So, I mean, I went back to the embassy. I actually flew, to, uh, flew then to, to, to England. I went to the Manchester uh, embassy again, where I'd originally applied. 
And I said, but I'm, I'm black, I'm not, I'm not white. How can you deny me the opportunity to play there? He said, no, all South Africans, there's a sports embargo. Uh, nobody from South Africa is going to get a work permit um, in, 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 um, in, in Spain. And it was the most devastating time of my life. Um, so I didn't actually play, I never played one league game or one, I just played two friendly matches in Spain and a lot of uh, training, but I never played one game in Spain. And I came back to South Africa and the figurative people took it upon them now that they will try to escalate things, try and get the government involved, try and see from their side if they can help. But um, uh, it, it never materialized, it never materialized. And then now I had to go back to Derry City that was now another 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 moment in my life that uh, I regret. I said, but why would I want to go back to Derry City? No, Brian Clough with um, Nottingham Forest wants you to come on trials. And I was, I was also so, whether it was an ego problem or whether I was over enthusiastic or overconfident, but it was a big mistake I made. I said, why must I go for trials? Brian Clough wants me, he wants me. If he doesn't want me, he doesn't want me. Why, why should I go for trials? And that was something that I regret for the rest of my life. Uh, only to find out later that Brian Clough just wanted to see, you know, what type of person I am. He had made up his mind. He was going to sign me at Nottingham Forest. But, you know, he's, he was a very, very strange person. Very, very difficult uh, person, Brian Clough. And um, he just wanted to, to, to test my temperament. He wanted to see what type of person I am. And I just let myself down. I let myself down. And um, I ended up then um, staying. I never went back to Derry. They, they, they asked me to come back. But after such a farewell, after such high hopes, I, it was very demotivating for me to go back to, to, to Ireland. And then there was a local businessman, Errol Hughes, who had Leeds United. South African version of Leeds United. In Durban, my hometown. Durban. Not Courtney's hometown. He's from Maritzburg. We don't want people like that in Durban. <laughs> Errol Hughes approached me. He says, look, Owen, man, here's the team. We're bottom of the log. Um, halfway through the season, please help us. And um, I said, look, uh, uh, he wanted me to be player coach. And I said, I've never been a coach. I've never been a coach. A player, he says, just apply yourself the way you know. You've got the experience, you've played in, in Europe, please help us. I said, but I'm not yet a coach, you know. He said, just do it until we get a coach. And um, I started uh, being player coach and we had a lot of success. We went to the Bob Safe 1989 semifinals where Pirates beat us in the, in the semifinals and we got out of relegation I think at the time there were 18 teams uh, within, we were then languishing 14th or 15th, somewhere there, but we got off the, the bottom of the table. And then um, Abdul Bamji came and um, Abdul Bamji was one of the biggest marketers, marketeers of, of football in South Africa. And I'd known him from my youth when I played for Dynamos as a youngster. And he says, no, Owen, I've got your team. You've got to come and play for Morocco Swallows. And that's how I went to Morocco Swallows. A lot of success there with Eddie Lewis. To, to, we, we won the Bob Save twice. We won the... Uh, the Sorry, the Owen, do you, do you mind if I come in really quickly? Um, so we've got Ahmed, we've got Francis, and we've got listeners out there. 
who yeah. might not understand that Morocco swallows, the Dubai birds, these were the original Soweto giants with Orlando Pirates before yes. Kaiser Chiefs even existed. This is a first-class club. Come in. Then can I also just throw in there Eddie Lewis as well? Yeah, He's a former player of Man United. Yes, yeah, in England. This is a big manager. yeah. So yeah, um, so Swallows are like royalty. That's the first coach that I signed for professionally when he was at Wits University. Yes, that's correct. That's correct. That's brilliant. Um, so you know where the uh, uh, Swallows were a, a, a big club, as you mentioned, um, and the derbies against Orlando Pirates against Chiefs were just. It was just something to behold, you know, and uh, I always still kept the, the, the memory of or, or the intention of, of trying to go to, to Europe again. But I just got absorbed by the South African game. I just it happened so quick and so fast. And uh, uh, we started winning cups. We started doing well. Um, uh, I started becoming a, 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 I remember when we played Sundowns, which was also a very, very wealthy club and a big club. We played them in the Bob Safe final in 1989, and we beat them 5-1. I scored two goals, uh, created two for, for Calvin Peterson, and I got man of the series for, for that tournament. And it was just, it, 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 things were happening so fast and so quick that um, it, it was just, um, it's just something that I, I, I just kept on, I, I, it just kept on uh, absorbing me, um, you, you know, in, in South Africa. and. Um, uh, from Morocco Swallows, I then went to Supersport, Supersport United. They had just bought a, a, a team from Easters called Pretoria City. They had just bought Pretoria City uh, with um, Terry Payne. And um, so I was there with them. And then I got a very, very bad uh, knee injury. And um, I, I couldn't recover from that. I couldn't recover from that. I, I went to the Blue Bulls, which is a rugby team. I went to their doctor, Dr. Dan Duplessis, had an operation, I had a follow-up operation. And when it came to the third operation, I just said, maybe it's the almighty has said, no, you know, it's, it's your, your time is over now in football. You must do something else. And that's where I slowly started getting into coaching. And that probably serves as a perfect segue into the next phase of what we'd want to talk to you about. Um, but I remember the Bob Save Super Bowl because growing up, I always thought the American football teams played for the Super Bowl. And I love that in South Africa, we had the Bob Save Super Bowl, which I know you won as a player. I know you've been successful in Ireland. You were a star there. It was fantastic to hear you talk so fondly about your time playing, playing in, in Derry. Um, but when I look at your trophies as a player and look at you winning the Telcom Cup with, with Silver Stars. What, what brought you more joy? What brought you more enjoyment? What was a bigger achievement for you? I think um, the Telcom Cup, well, it was in 2016, it was the inaugural uh, Telcom Cup, which was the biggest cup in South Africa then. Um, and that was, you know, and we were not a, a relatively big team, we were a small team. And we ended second on the log. And, uh, and, and mind you, since, since we got into the league, we've been selling most of our players. We're, we're a selling team. I would go and scout players, groom them, sell them. I, that's how Silver Stars survived. And that season, we ended, uh, 2016, we ended second on the log. Uh, 
we won the inaugural uh, Telcom Cup and I got PSL coach of the season, which was, uh, it's, so to me, the Telcom Cup, maybe that was an achievement because I was, I was actually at the head of, of everything happening. I was just not a player like any other player. I was, you know, the main player. I was the, the, the head coach and I put this team together. And um, so, so for me, that to me was, as a player, maybe I can say, uh, you know, winning the cups, but uh, as a coach and as a human being, I think the, the Telcom Cup was, was for me something that I'll never forget. Yes, and now you're obviously the coach of Highlands. How has coronavirus affected your coaching and what have you as a club been doing? And have you been training from remotely and are you back training now? What's the situation in South Africa for those that don't know? Yeah, look, it's, it's, it's very, very difficult. Um, uh, as you can imagine, we are, I think, six to eight weeks behind Europe with regards to everything, with regards to the virus, with regards to football, with regards to everything. And I think the, the most difficult thing that we face in South Africa at the moment is where we are going to play. You've got to understand in Spain, in England, there are no so-called townships. And there are no so-called minibuses full of people, taxis. Um, so it, it's, quite, it's quite different to Europe. I think if we had a similar setup to Europe, it would have been easier, but because of the townships where the the uh, uh, isolation and, and and the and the and the distancing is, um, is is so difficult to maintain because people are really cramped up. People are living basically on top of each other, and 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 it makes it so difficult at the moment. Here in Gauteng, where we are, um, in the last two days, we've had the highest spike in, in coronavirus uh, in the coronavirus infections. Uh, uh, in South Africa, higher than Western Cape, which is we just exploded, but we are now just taking over. So it's it's really, really very, very difficult for the the poorer communities to really practice social distancing, to really survive like how I would survive in my house. I mean, I just lock the gate. I'm alone here with my dogs, and that's it. Uh, it's very, very difficult for the poorer communities and. I think that's what's making it so difficult for us all. Um, when we speak about frustration of not playing, I, I, I think that's very selfish. It's very selfish considering how many people are dying, how many people are suffering, how many people, I mean, our unemployment rate has just gone up like triple, you know, and um, people are really, really struggling out there. And for me to sacrifice three or four months of, of coaching or of football, it's nothing compared to, to, to what people are going through. So, yes, it's been very difficult. We've been we're starting this week. We're starting um, uh, on Monday with, with, with um, groups, training players in groups of four, which is, I mean, what can you really do with, with four players? You know? But um, hopefully by next week. Have they been training at home individually? Have you been giving them individual work to do in this time? Yeah, we've been we've been doing a lot of online thing online um, um, communication with them. Um, they've been posting. We we've got a, an app called Strava, where they train and then they they post everything according. You know, they download what they've done from their watch, and we can at, at least see where their heart rates are. We're very fortunate to have uh, probably the best biokinetist in South Africa, and Simone Conley. Um, I mean, she's she's. 
She's, she's really, I think she's, if not one of the highest qualified biokinetics. I think she's got three degrees or something like that. And um, so we're really on a very, very high level with, with regards to, she knows the players in and out. She knows them in and out. She's done um, ECGs with the players on a regular basis. So she knows each and every player's heart, how they function, the muscular system, the skeletal system. She knows exactly each and every player where they are and how they, and, and how they operate. So during the initial uh, lockdown, when they couldn't leave their homes, um, we were doing online, uh, we're doing, we used uh, a, um, an app called House Party, where we, we could have seven players plus the coach and se or seven players plus the biokinetist or seven players plus the, 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 um, the, the physio. And um, we, we could then monitor exactly what they're doing. We, we, from their watches, we could, we could download and see the intensity, uh, what they, exactly what they've been doing and exactly where they are, what's happening to their hearts. And then when lockdown, when the first lockdown went to lockdown uh, three, from four to three, they could then now move out and go and jog. So we then took it to another level, put it again on Strava, and, and then we, were, we, we, we started monitoring them in that fashion. So now this week will be the first time that there's some sort of interaction, but obviously with a, four players on a, on a full field. Um, the league actually said it's five plus a goalkeeper, but we, we are starting with four. Have you had any kind of obviously saying your football should be second with the, with the virus? Have you had any players who are kind of saying, "Well, I don't want to go back," or have voiced concerns or anything like that? Or what's their mindset going into this? Yeah, I think fortunate enough, the education. Um, you know, when, when this Corona started, there was a, a week of, of of high education towards the players and awareness towards the players, so that they can understand what's happening and really absorb. Um, where we are and, and, and what, is, what might happen. So we prepared two programs. We prepared a program, should there be isolation, we, we, we prepared uh, certain uh, rules with isolation, and we also prepared a program for total lockdown. So the players were ready for this. Whatever would happen, the players were ready. Um, and we, we've been speaking to them on a regular basis. I've been speaking to them one-on-one -on -one via Skype, speaking to the players, discussing, uh, trying to motivate. We've also had the other coaches talking to them. Um, and I think, I think we kept them quite motivated. We kept them quite aware of what's happening. And fortunately, we've had a lot of um, support from management. So there's not really been problems with salaries or, or reduction in salaries or those type of things. We've been very fortunate in that aspect. Yes, we had to retrench uh, three players. They were never part of the team, you know. They were never part of the team. Um, so, so that's the worst that has happened with us. Three retrenchments, but the rest of the team is intact. Uh, the players are raring to go. They're looking forward to this. And, and they are really um, very, very, you know, highly motivated. I think the technical team uh, has done a fantastic job in keeping them motivated and keeping them hungry. Hello, Owen. Um, I have a question that maybe slightly takes us to our, our space beyond just South Africa, maybe. Um, the PSL as a standalone proposition, uh, what are your thoughts with regards to the role it should play maybe for the Pan-African game? You know, a lot of players, I come from Cameroon, um, I work in the industry, but South Africa doesn't rank 
high in terms of a marketplace or a league that you would get a player telling you in Cameroon or in Togo or in Nigeria that they want to go and play in. They'd rather go play in Uzbekistan or in in you know, third division in Belgium or something. And from the outside looking in, we get this feeling like there's not a particular strong concerted effort from the PSL to market itself as the number one African league that can be aspirational, attractive to other Africans. Um, what are your thoughts on this? I think that's an absolutely brilliant question. You know, um, I've thought about this um, on many occasions, you know, and um, I mean, I think if, if I'm not mistaken, I think it is the wealthiest league in, 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 in Africa. I, I have, a, uh, there could be Egypt could, 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 could throw itself in, in the mix there. But I think it's a very, very wealthy um, a league. I think there are some very wealthy clubs. There's a dominance. There's maybe a monopoly. You can call it a monopoly of players there, uh, of teams. I would say uh, uh, Sundowns, Orlando Pirates and Kaiser Chiefs. And you can see that by, you know, what you've just mentioned. It starts by, number one, I, I think we are not represented enough in the league. If you look at the population in South Africa, over 50 million people, and you compare that to other countries where there are similar populations, 40, 50 million, like in Germany, like in Spain, they've got 20 clubs, we've got 16 clubs. So I think the conveyor belt of developing players or creating that uh, 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 the amount of, of players that are good enough to go and play in Europe, number one, I think the conveyor belt is too small. We've got too little teams in the league. Um, secondly, the wealthy teams, how many players from Kaiser Chiefs have gone and played in Europe? How many players from Sundowns have gone and played in Europe? How many from Orlando Pirates? Have, you can mention them on one, you can count them on one hand. Um, so these clubs are paying their, their players really very, very, very well. Uh, they're really taking care of the players. Um, and I think some of the players are just stuck in the rut of, of no, I'm, I'm wealthy. I can afford a house of 10 million rand. I can afford whatever car I can. Why must I go? Why must I? So I think, um, yes, I, I agree fully with you. I mean, it has been proven Sundowns won the Champions League. Um, so there's a lot of quality in the country. There's a lot of uh, ambition, but I, I, I believe that the conveyor belt is too small. Uh, there should be more teams. I think we should at least have 20 teams in South Africa. And that has an effect on Bafana Bafana. And I think Bafana Bafana has got a direct impact on the league in South Africa. That's where you are judged. That's where uh, other players look at Bafana Bafana and they say, but if Mauritania can beat Bafana 3-1, why would I want to go and play there, you know? Uh, but if 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 Bafana were, were really dominant and 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 they did what they're supposed to do and they achieved what they're supposed to achieve, I think we 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 could have been we, we could have been speaking a, a different language. So I think it's the the, the result of, a, of of the amount of clubs in the country. I think it's uh, too little. Secondly, I think clubs in, in South Africa are really overpaying players. That makes it very difficult for players to want to leave. And even when teams, I mean, you can you can go to Cameroon, you can go to Ghana and get a player for 100,000 euros. Easy. Uh, you can't come to South Africa and get a player for 100,000 euros. You can't. 
they, they, they just outprice the players. So the hunting grounds for the European teams and, and for the African teams um, would be in West Africa. And, and it's like in Egypt, you know, there was a time in Egypt where uh, they had an unbelievable squad with the Abu Trikas. Abu Trika could have played anywhere in the world, anywhere. Great player, you know, just to mention one player. But they were so well paid and they were kept in, 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 um, in, 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 in Egypt. So I think you've got the same situation in South Africa where a lot of players are, are kept in South Africa, but there are very, very few eyes on South Africa because the facts of the mere fact that Bafana Bafana are not doing well. And I think that is is um, uh, those to me just a, just my humble opinion. And I think if we can increase the number of teams in South Africa, I think you we would be speaking a different language now. I think, I think also sometimes when you have a league that's too strong, or not too strong, I'd say too uh, a lot of money here, like South Africa and like the Egyptian league. Um, the players who are in it don't have the ambition to go elsewhere because their standard of life might not be as good elsewhere. Um, yeah, I agree. No, I agree fully with you. I mean, you've got Kama Billiard from uh, Zimbabwe. Top, 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 top player. Um, uh, instead of going, you've got an offer, I think, to go and play in the second division in England. Uh, and I think a, a first division team somewhere in Portugal, a Premier League team in Portugal. He went and played for, he signed for Chiefs. Long-term contract. He's from Zimbabwe. And, you know, he, he, uh, he comes now to Chiefs and I mean, let's be honest. Uh, Zimbabwe is not is not one is is going through a very very bad uh, time with all the the quality that they've got in that country. And then comes to South Africa, and it's why you know it's like it's like going to. I guess I guess there's 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 pros and cons of that because we are the, if we say that we are keeping a lot of the African talent still in Africa, and that's a, a, I think a good thing, right? Um, yeah. It, it's, it has its pros and its cons. You've got the people going to Europe and then you hopefully they, they can come back and bring something back to Africa. So, it's Spot on. Spot on. Spot on. The point I was really trying to get to before is I think there's also a challenge with how South Africa positions itself even within the African space. For those of us who are non-South African, I think there's almost like a, a different set of rules for that space. And... A lot of non-South African Africans don't particularly consider the South African experience to be an African experience. And then it's almost high-graded, almost, when you want to do the exchange or deep dive. There was a time where I know even as a business, we tried to invest in the space. And it came down to a question of looking at your franchise system with the PSL, for example. I wanted to maybe touch on that subject in particular. When you say you want to open up, maybe you think a part of the solution would be uh, expanding the, the pool, the talent pool or the professional pool. Um, what are your thoughts on the franchise system and the PSL as it stands? Maybe even looking at what's just happened recently with Bitvest and things like that. They consider that and how that maybe plays in this conversation, the maybe almost over insular nature of the structure of the league. I think you know. Um, it, I, I was very, I was, I was fortunate to be part of Platinum Stars when they were sold to the Royal Bafokeng uh, Nation. It was just after we'd won the Telcom, and after we'd ended second on the log, 
And the Royal Bafokeng Nation uh, bought in 49% um, shares of, of uh, Silver Stars at the time. And a year later, they then purchased, um, you know, the balance of the team and the team had to relocate to Rustenburg. So I've, I've been, I, I, I got a feeling, you know, I, I experienced a little bit of that. And I think when it comes to franchising in South Africa, I, it's, it's all about money. Eh? I, I'm, I'm sorry to say that it's all about money. I think if, if you have the capacity, if you, if, if you have the funds, um, you know, uh, the, the, you are basically set in South Africa. Uh, unfortunately, as I say, there's, there, there are three clubs. If, if I mention Orlando Pirates and Chiefs, the chairman of Orlando Pirates is the chairman of the PSL, is the chairman of a professional league. And um, Orlando Pirates has got Think, if not mistaken, eight sponsorships, major sponsorships. So does Kaiser Chiefs have the same. And, and then you look at some of the other teams um, that don't have any sponsorships, no sponsorships at all. And um, so it, it, it makes it difficult for a lot of teams. Uh, they were doing a calculation a couple of years ago, uh, I think two years ago when we had just one promotion to the, to, to the PSL of Highlands Park. They did some calculation and they found that in the last seven years, from the teams that were in the, in the first division, only two teams had survived in the last seven years that were still in the first division or gained promotion. So, and, and you look at the, 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 the disparity, you know, between the clubs, you know, some clubs really, I mean, Sundowns have just bought best players of wits, so as pirates, before anybody could even think of even trying to get a, a sign a player from wits. So, I mean, Sundowns are sitting with, and that's another thing that influences the, the, the quality of Bafana Bafana. Sundowns are sitting with players there, and I mean, you can only play 11 players. Even if you go to the Champions League, you go to the Champions League with maximum of 30 players in, in your squad. And Sunans are sitting with so much quality. I remember they bought a player from Dan Silver Stars. They, they bought, I think, three or four players. They bought Surprise Mariri from Silver Stars when I was there. They bought Oscar Tohai and they bought Tsepo Ramokala. And they also uh, bought Katleho, um, um, Katleho, not Mashiko, um, anyhow. They, they bought four players and three of those players managed to play less than five games in three seasons. In fact, um, um, uh, uh, one of the players actually had to retire after going to, to Sunnans. He was so devastated. He couldn't even move on. So I think there's a, it's, it's monopolized. There, there, there are teams that are extremely wealthy, and then there are teams that are really betting on the ground that they have. And, and, and I mean, Vitz, I can tell you now what I read in the newspapers and speaking to the coach, um, they had been putting in almost 3 million rand uh, a, a month, every month, up and above the, the grant of 2.9 million that, that they get every month. Uh, Vitz had to put in, now, I mean, it's, it's a bottom, it's not a bottomless pit, you know. The, this is a company that's on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. And how do, how do you tell your investors that you're, you're, you're putting away 3 million rand a month into a team and your investment that you, you, you got in return 
was a league title two seasons ago where they got 10 million and one cup where they got 8 million. You know, how do you explain that to investors? So I think uh, if, if, if we can get the, 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 the corporate sponsoring spread out throughout the, uh, the league and get some other teams sponsorships and, and I, I haven't seen an, a club in England without a sponsor, to be honest with you. I don't know if there is. I have not seen uh, a club in, 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 in England without a sponsor. Um, um, I think that's part of the corporate governance. It's part of the, 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 the way things are done. Um, and I think in South Africa, if clubs could get sponsorships, they would hold on to their players, number one. They'd be able to hold on to their best players and they'd be able to compete healthy uh, from a financial point of view and not just battling every month to get through it. So, I mean, the boss of Highlands Park, uh, Black Capital, um, or, or, the, or he's, he's, the, he's, he's one of the bosses, but he's, he's, the, he's the main financier of, of Highlands Park. Um, he's made it clear that it's a business. If somebody comes along and offers him a, a good proposition, he'll sell, you know, because he's, it's, it's not, it's never bottomless, but you know, you, if you don't have sponsors, if you don't, sooner or later, it, it catches up with you. Look what happened to Maining Rangers. I mean, uh, um, Courtney will tell you that. A highly successful club, but because of the, 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 the sponsorship issued, issued uh, four years down the, lay, the, the line after winning the league, the team was gone. But, you know, the, the, your insight is really, really phenomenal because I think a lot of us outside of South Africa don't really understand these nuances. And therefore, we think there's this monolithic operation that's going on, but it's like you have a, there I go, the power struggle between like your big three or your big four or whatever they are over there. Um, do you guys consider the... As, as a structure, the other teams within this network, the ability to consider collective bargaining maybe sometimes in terms of your sponsorship revenue or your TV money. Because I know in England, I work a lot with a lot of English teams and that there is the same disparity as well. Uh, a club like a Burnley is in no way as attractive as a proposition as a Man United or their color, the Liverpool. Um, the reality is they know that the product that is the Premier League makes a Burnley as exciting as a Manchester City, for example, because that product is being consumed or being packaged and sold. And that's where I think the PSL as a product for us and maybe the world, because I don't even see the exchange of talent from the PSL into global football. It's like it's only a league where players go to die, not, not to be rude, but you don't have connection to the rest of the global soccer where you could say, even the agencies I work with, I am less prone to say, let's have a young 17, 18-year-old player go do two years in South Africa because it would add value to the player and we can move them from there. Then maybe even even into the Premier League, but maybe just to move them to China. But you would struggle to convince a Chinese club even that, doing that trajectory makes sense. And that's where I think we remain at a loss outside where the voices are that are saying the PFL as a product should be our prime product for Africa, where we know that we can send our talents that way they have the exposure because it's on TV. That's what's crazy about it. But 
nobody's tuning into the games. You know, like now all of a sudden the Tanzanian league is proving more exciting for young talent. And I speak with scouts across the globe. And a lot of people into the Tanzanian league, which came out of nowhere. But they have 30, 40,000 people at games. There's vibe, there's atmosphere, but there's talent on show. And people are looking at old leagues and thinking, and I'm looking at the PSL and thinking, especially with the 2010 World Cup, we're 10 years into this amazing opportunity for Africa. And one of his legacies was meant to be bringing domestic football on a, of international standards in, onto the continent, domesticated in the PSL. We have the infrastructure, so you have stadia, you can watch great games at and all of that. But we haven't seen real impact of that connecting to us. And so I remain a little bit, so that's why when I listen to your insight, we never get to hear these voices that are saying we're trying to fix our house because we just look from outside and we're seeing certain teams, even Ajax, Cape Town, at some point in time, we kind of expected some amazing connection. I never even heard of Leeds before. I mean, like the Leeds you played at. So like, these clubs existed? Is there a Manchester United in, I don't know, in Durban as well? Or, or... We we have taste in South Africa, my friends. We have taste ah, in South Africa. I'm going to take exception to you, Mr. Navi. <laughs> <laughs> but go on, Owen. I didn't mean to intercept a very good question and point by Francis. Yeah, I think that's, that's an unbelievable uh, question. It's really a deep question. And I think um, a probing question, which which is quite good. It, 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 I think it will help clear a little bit. I hope I have the, the, um, the insight to, to be able to explain it, but I, I just believe it starts from the top. You've got a Danny Ordan who, who I had the privilege of working with um, at SAFA, which is our, our national, our mother body. He's not very popular in Africa. Eh? Not very popular. And, you know, uh, I've, I've, I've I've traveled all over Africa with Bafana Bafana. I've been to two Cup of Nations with Bafana Bafana. And we were very, very fortunate to meet with other delegates, other presidents of other countries, Senegal, Cameroon, Mali, all over the place. And um, uh, it, 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 it was so interesting to, to, to just hear how they all, what they thought of, of South Africa and what they thought of Safa. We, we, we've also got a situation in South Africa where you, I'm sure you, you know that, that you've got SAFA, which is the mother body, and you've got the PSL, which is the, which is the professional wing of, of thing. Of, of, and it comes, with, it comes with its challenges. It comes with its challenges because decisions have got to be made at the mother body, and then decisions have got to be made at, 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 at the PSL. And, and, and sometimes that, that becomes very, very tricky. But I think our... Our connections with the rest of Africa, for argument's sake, Cameroon. Cameroon has produced such a lot of players that went on and played at the biggest clubs in, in Europe. So has Ghana, so has uh, Senegal. So, you know, you, you mentioned the West African countries. Um, it's just unbelievable how experienced they are with regards to that, to the, to the, to the production of players that, that actually go to Europe, which we don't have. But why can't we learn from Cameroon? Why can't we learn from, it all starts on top. It all starts on top. Building those connections, um, making sure that we, 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 we you know, uh, we've got ties, proper ties. 
not political ties, but football ties um, with, with, with countries like Cameroon. We can learn such a lot from Cameroon, Ghana, as I said before, all the other countries. But I, I feel you, you, you're so right when you say this, there's a bit of a disconnect there. You, you're spot on. And uh, I don't even want to talk about the, 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 uh, the Algerias and the Moroccos and all that. There's, there's, there's no connection whatsoever, nothing. Egypt is probably the only country that has signed a player from South Africa, Pakamani Mathambi, when he went there, a young boy, um, at El, to, to El Akhli. They also, uh, there's also talks now, I don't know how true that is, I've just been reading on the media, but uh, our team hasn't received anything, that they're also interested in our striker, Peter Shalulile, who's currently the, the second top goal scorer in, in, in the PSL. Um, so that's the closest we've got. That's the closest we've got with any interactions. You can also see when there are friendly matches, you know, international friendly matches that Bafana have got to play. It's it's it's, it's not what you would have, what you would have uh, expected. You know, um, you'd expect to go and play an international friendly against Cameroon away. Where you can go and learn, where you can, where you can interact, where they can learn from a, a, a from the, the the managerial, from the the, the 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 top brass, they can learn. The technical staff can learn. The players get used to the situation, and you start to understand more. So I I just believe that it 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 all starts from the top. It all starts from the top. We have got really. To, 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 as you said, in the very, very first instance when, when you were speaking um, about networking and, 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 and taking the brand of, of the PSL into Africa, I think that has not been done very successfully. We talk the talk, we get the exposure, we, we're on television, but we don't walk the walk. It's, it's as simple as that. And, 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 and I'm part of that, you know, I'm, I'm truly part of that, although I've been trying to, to, to um, uh, speaking about the Tanzanian uh, league, uh, um, I've, I've been, there's, a, there's a striker there that we're looking at at the moment, and we do have uh, Abdi Banda, who's also from there. So we're trying to build relationships with a country like Tanzania, as you said, very, very successful and very exciting at the, at, you know, at the moment. Uh, but, uh, you know, it would be good if it starts from the top and, and we start you know, to, to create that brotherhood where we, as solidarity, as brotherhood, we, we work together, we learn from each other, we, 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 we take a, 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 a leaf out of each other's books and, you know, use South Africa as a stepping stone. We've got the facilities, we've got the infrastructure. Um, why not use South Africa as a, as, as a stepping stone? I know in Africa, um, it, it's sometimes very difficult for it's much more difficult because of the of the infrastructures in the countries there. But we've got the infrastructure here, so we should be the springboard to the rest of Europe, as you as you rightfully said. That's Frank. so true. Yeah. But it, it's 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 just, it's just not happening. It's just not happening, and I think it's got to start from the top. I mean, our our the president of Safi has got to really make friends. As simple as that. Oh, Owen, just uh, following on from uh, something that. Um... Francis just mentioned there about fixing our own house. Looking at Bafana at the moment, there's a product that is just not uh, showcasing the quality 
uh, that we currently have in the country in terms of results. Can you give us a reason, what is the real problem there, that it's just not exploding the way we want it to? I think, it, once again, it starts from the top. It's unfortunate that uh, it, it, it's, it, it, you know, somebody has got, to, has, got to, has, has got to take responsibility for this. Uh, as much as we all try to contribute um, as, as much as we as much as, as, as much as we try to be part of it, uh, I was very fortunate to be part of it for five years at, at SAFA. So I understand exactly what's going on within the in the whole organization there. Um, I just feel that it starts on the top. You know, um, nothing against Mulif Siki, our our current uh, head coach, uh, but he has not even coached in the PSL. He's not been a head coach in the PSL. He coached the national under 17 team and he he then he then he then goes and he is an assistant to um to to Stuart Baxter and then he gets the job as as the head coach. Nothing against him. This is not a personal thing, it's not a personal attack. I'm just trying to to to, to put facts on the table here. And you've got Gavin Hunt, who's won the league four times. You've, you've got you've got coaches that are highly experienced that have done very 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 well, and uh, then Safa, and then suddenly there's a statement in Safa, despite the legacy fund that they got from the 2010 World Cup, uh, there are financial problems there, and people are being retrenched. And I mean, this is long before COVID. This is this I'm talking about in the past three four years. There's always been talks, and the way it is is that the president doesn't get a salary as such. The president gets a percentage of whatever, yeah, he gets a percentage of whatever sponsorships he brings into, into SAFA. So, I mean, if they had Burger King, as a, they had Nike as a, as a, as a, 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 a sponsor, um, a clothing sponsor, and then um, I understand Nike has withdrawn, I believe there's a new sponsor that might come on board, Adidas or something. They had Burger King, it was sponsoring the national under 20 team. So it's been a siphoning of the legacy funds since 2010. And to be honest with you, I don't know whether it's a, it's a, it's a good, I might get into trouble, but I mean, I speak my mind. Whether it's 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 a right thing to put a, a a politician as head of your 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 mother body, or whether you really put a football person there, who's there for for football and for nothing else. So I don't know because um, it's 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 it just for me everything everything that you do, even if a club does well, it doesn't start with a coach. It starts with a chairman. It starts on top. You can have the best coach. You can have the best player. You don't have the support. If you don't have the backing, if you don't have um, the unconditional support, there's very little that you can achieve. And, and, and so it goes with Bafana Bafana. Um, unfortunately, it, it starts on top. I mean, you want to have a manager at Bafana Bafana. You want to have a, 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 a pedigree manager, a person like Lucas Radek, who can phone, the, who he can phone anybody in England to, to request a player or, or to, to build some relationship, they'll immediately identify with him. But if you've got a manager that nobody even knows in Cape Town, never mind uh, Natal, no 
nobody knows this guy even in KZN. It makes it very, very difficult. So I think it's got to, it's, it's, for me, I'm sorry to say, but it all starts from the presidents that are set from on top. Uh, the, 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 the steps that are taken from the top, the initiative, the initiatives, the, the um, insight from right on top. That's where I think it, it, it begins. And um, Bafana Bafana, such a, a fantastic brand, such, you know, such a lot of possibilities. They become a laughing stock even in South Africa. I'm sorry to say that, you know, people make jokes about Bafana Bafana. And uh, so instead, of, instead of taking a leaf from the book of the rugby, uh, um, uh, the, although it's, it's, it's the rugby, it's a total different structure to, to South Africa and maybe a longer legacy that's been created there, the rugby team. So why are we not, why are we underachievers at Bafana Bafana? I just think it's, it's got to do with leadership. It's as simple as that. It's got to do with leadership. Owen, oh, just coming back to the point you made earlier where you said uh, the current national team manager uh, hasn't coached in the PSL, which is a, a shocking thing to you, really shocking. But who are the other candidates in, in the pool for the job during the interviewing process? Uh, because I, I find it hard that anyone looking at that panel would overlook experience within the PSL. First, first and foremost, the, the job was never advertised. It was not advertised. I mean, I was asked why I didn't apply for the job. How do you apply for a job that's not been advertised? I mean, I was the interim coach for five years. I was the under 23 coach where a lot of the players, I'm, 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 it's, not, it's not about me, but I'm just talking about the positioning. Uh, it could have been any other guy. You're, you're the assistant coach for, for, for five years. You've been to two Cup of Nations. Um, you, you have coached in the PSL for more than 10 years. Uh, you took the under 23 team for the first time in 16 years to the Olympics. Um, and then you're the interim coach, unbeaten interim coach. And um, when, 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 when the management was asked why I was not considered, I mean, this could have been anybody. I'm just speaking about anybody that could have been there that has walked that journey with regards to continuity and those type of things. Because a lot of those under 23 players, the, the Keegan Dollies, they all uh, um, uh, graduated to, to the national team. So yeah. we thought there'd be a natural progression. There'd be, you know, there'd be continuity to some sorts. Uh, then, our, then the answer to the media was, no, I never applied. How do you apply if something is not advertised? How do you apply? I mean, it's as simple as that. And um, they, they then, they took Stuart, they don't have money, but they took Stuart Baxter from uh, Supersport, they paid out Supersport. And um, the guy was on a very, very large salary. Uh, that is it's just mind boggling when an association doesn't have money. And then the guy resigns and he leaves. So, you know, it, 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 it makes you think why sometimes, and I mean, this is a question for Francis as well, and uh, uh, I, it just boggles the mind um, that why can't we at times just invest in our own? I've heard all the stories about tribalism, that this coach is from that tribe, and we selecting players from there, and th these type of things. But uh, I, I, just, I just find it so mind-boggling. 
why we cannot just invest in our own people and, and groom our own people and grow our people and have two, three assistants of our own people that one day one of those three would, would, would eventually uh, um, um, uh, uh, take over the role. I just don't believe even in a country like South Africa where, where tribalism is not as, as, as strong as in, in some of the African countries. But um, uh, I, I just, it, it just boggles my mind that we can't just invest in our own people and groom our own people, whether white, black, green, doesn't matter. But our own people, you look at Brazil, you don't have a German coach coaching the national team there. You look at Germany, you don't have an English coach coaching there. The two, two of the most successful countries in the world. It, it, the intellectual property remains within the country. You can call upon that intellectual property at any time. It's there, it's available. When, when, when Bafana Bafana qualified for the FCON, um, uh, um, we, we, we called upon um, uh, Pereira in Brazil to say, can you give us advice? And he said, no problem, speak to your management to speak to, to, to me. And they appointed some guy to talk to him and the guy wanted 20,000 euros just for an interview, never mind any other thing. Whereas that intellectual property if it was bred and cultivated in South Africa, you could call it, you could call upon it and, 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 and have it there at your hands, in your hands, you know? So I, I just basically think that um, uh, we, we've got to really, we've got to really get our house in order and believe in our own people, uh, believe in people that can, you know, they, 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 they I mean, it's so ironic that when I speak to players, I'm, I'm fortunate that I can speak Tsonga, I can speak Venda, I can speak Zulu, I'm very fortunate that I can speak fluently uh, Tsonga and Venda. That when I communicate with my players, I get a different response to when somebody communicates to them. They say when you speak to somebody in, in his language, it goes to his heart. When you speak to him in English, it goes to his mind. You know, so I think that 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 associate, uh, uh, you know, that that sense of association is so much better if you've got a local guy. Um, given the post and given the full support, the full support um, uh, um, that, you know, uh, we can just become a, a better country and we can, we, can, we, we can become better countries in Africa. I think we should try to get our brother Owen to run the whole of CAF. <laughs> we, I think we can get you to run his campaign, Francis. Yeah, there you go, Francis. Start the campaign. I think I'm not... I'm not I don't have any, I don't have any, any political background. <laughs> it, it just, it just fascinates me. Uh, it fascinates me to, to know, you mentioned some fantastic stats earlier of how players are much better paid in the country. Uh, there's a higher standard doing well, but the national team is doing nothing like that. You've got a team that's won the Champions League in the country the national team is all is almost suffering but then when you break it down you can hear why they suffering uh, the, these decisions that are always or uh, this the, the right hand is not talking to the left and they are just all at different tangents and this is why the national team is as we said a brand that is unsuccessful uh, it's something, and I know you're currently employed, and it's not nice to talk like this, but is it something you look at still in the future? 
national team job? Yeah, look, um, that is a prized job in, in the country. That, that, that's the number one job in the country. And um, I'm very fortunate that I was groomed as, a, as a, uh, an assistant coach under Sheikh Mashaba, the most successful coach at Bafana Bafana, most successful by, by far. Um, that I was groomed under him and I worked with him at that level and I took the under 23 team. I was part of the under 20, under 20 team when they qualified for the World Cup with coach Tabo Sinong. He happened to be my assistant. So I went on and I tried to assist him as well so that I can get a deeper insight into what the under 20 setup is internationally. I traveled all over with the under, under, under 20 national team. Um, so I, I tried to make it my business to understand the dynamics and, and, and actually, you know, the, the dynamics behind a successful Bafana Bafana team. And um, I made it my duty to learn as much as possible but uh, unfortunately, there was no continuity. And should, should, should the opportunity come one day, uh, you know, you take it on condition, on condition that you get the support that you have to get. It's no use just getting a job and, and there's no support, you know, and there's no understanding of why you want certain things. I mean, when we went to, 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 um, to the Olympics, we had four warm-up games, four warm-up games. Brazil had been playing in the Copa Under-19 Cup with, with the same team that qualified for the Olympics and that went on to win the Olympics. And our major, first major tournament was we, we had to go to Senegal. And Senegal was the number one nation in, in under-23 nation. They just won the All-African uh, 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 Cup, uh, uh, under-23 Cup, which is like a a precursor to the to the qualifications. Um, we had to go and play them there. And we were very fortunate that we 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 beat them in, in, in the final game and that's how we, we we qualified. But apart from that, the preparation was so, 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 so poor. Uh, and the support, you know, no, I said we are playing against, we'll probably play against uh, a, a, a Scandinavian team, which always happens in the group. You play against uh, uh, um, uh, um, and, uh, uh, what do you call it? a Middle Eastern country, which we did play against Iraq. Um, we, so it was either Iran or Iraq. So we planned everything, and we said we've got to play against these countries so that we can understand how they play the game. We got an invitation to go and play in Japan. Um, they used the under twenty-three team to play in the um, Confederations Cup. Of nations, which is which is a a an inter, is for international teams, but they, they gave us the in the opportunity to go and play in in, in, in that cup in in Ventuk. and and we won that cup with the under twenty three team. So that was our that was our preparation. No funds to go and travel to play against Iraq. No 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 chance to play against one of the 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 the, the, the um, big giants in Africa, Morocco, or Algeria or teams like Egypt, nothing. Um, we're very fortunate to get an invitation by Japan to go and play in Japan. We're very fortunate to get an invitation to play against Brazil in, in, in Marseille, in, in the north of Brazil. Um, but that was without the Neymars and all this. And they beat us 3-0 there. So we had to come up against the opening game of the Olympics. We play against Brazil. And they've got the Neymars, they've got the Jesus, Gabriel Jesus, they've got Philippe Anderson, We've got top, 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 top players there. 
and you know your preparation has been really really poor and we go and we draw with them uh, zero zero uh, but the boys put in so much into that game that they had nothing left eh? and we we lost to denmark one nil which we had preempted that we we will definitely play against um, denmark sweden or finland um, and we wanted to play friendly against sweden there was no money for that um, so you know th those are the things uh, uh, that's why i say you can get a job, but you need the full support. And unfortunately, it, it just seems to me, even at club level, that the European coaches tend to get more support than, you know, than the local coaches. And uh, it's just unfortunate. I don't know whether it's a, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what to attribute that, whether we are inferior or what, I don't know. But uh, I think it's something that, that, that has to, it, it's, it's got to come to an end. We've got to believe in our own people. We are good enough to, to build these players. We're good enough to scout these players, but we're not good enough to get the support. Oh, and if, if I could come in there, if you look at the AFCON final last year, Algeria and Senegal, two coaches who played for their national team, um, granted the Algerian coach um, came from France, but has an affinity with the country, uh, played for the national team, Cisse at, uh, at Senegal is someone that we all remember from 2002. And there's something to be said about having somebody who comes from that country, who has a love for that country and speaks the language. We've seen that as a successful formula, not only for the Europeans, but for our best African teams. Yeah, I think, I think you, you spot on. And I mean, when we played Senegal in Senegal, Cisse uh, was the coach of the under 23 team. So you can see the continuity that I was speaking about, and he took the team to the final. I, I definitely believe um, Cameroon have got some of the finest local coaches uh, available. I believe so as Ghana, I believe so as Mali, I believe so as South Africa. Um, we really, uh, we, we need to invest in our, own, in our own people. They understand the cultures, they understand the dynamics, they understand a lot about, I'll give you an example and you from KZN, you speak to a Zulu boy, mm -hmm. boy from KZN, mm -hmm. he looks down, he won't look up, he look down, he won't look into your eyes. Sign of respect. That's a sign of respect. A European coach will get so angry at that, and I experienced it, will get so angry at that because he doesn't understand the cultures. You know, he doesn't understand that that's a sign of respect. So a vendor boy is not supposed to answer back when you talk to him, no matter how right or how wrong. He's not supposed to give an explanation. You have a go at him, you tell him, he must, he, he keep, that's how he's been raised. He must come to you a day or two later and then explain to you. That's a sign of respect from the vendor uh, people. So now coaches say, I demand an answer now. And the boy is not, he's, he's not grown up that way. His, his culture is, is of a different language. And I think that's where we, 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 we run short I still believe if we are going to bring in European coaches who have got the expertise and experience, let's bring them in at youth level. Let them start from the ground and help us from the ground, not come and take the top jobs. And I mean, what do you do with an end product that's not properly developed? How far can you go? No, I love those points. I love those points. Help us from the bottom. Yeah. Come and help they're not prepared to take those jobs they want the yeah. top jobs and the top the top uh, dollar and um, I, I just think it's rather unfortunate there are some 
really, really good European coaches. But I think it's, it's, you know, it's senseless them coming in the 11th hour and helping the team to win a cup or what happens? The next mm. thing move on. What happened at, at Zambia? Um, With her, Renault? Yeah, when one next in another move to another bigger country you know mm -hmm. i mean where's the legacy you know uh, you know apart from just winning the cup so it, is it just about winning cups or is it about really getting a team right right from grassroots levels getting the infrastructures right within in the country mm. making sure that there's sustainability and there's longevity within the development of the country um, making sure that there's going to be an end product mm. You know, so I, I just find it rather, you know, selfish that we always just want the end product. We just want to win the cup. Absolutely. After, after winning the cup, the country falls to pieces again. So, so, so well said, Owen. I know you've been so generous with your time. We've loved this conversation and I know we're fast running out. So we're going to go around the horn and give everyone an opportunity to ask you one more question, if you don't mind. It's going to start with me. No I was in um, Rio when you nearly caused a national incident when Brazil didn't win and you drew and I still walk around with my 1996 Pafana jersey, <laughs> people were angry because this was the tournament where they were meant to restore pride because of what happened at the World Cup. And I was again, I was in the stadium when Germany beat them 7-1. I was there in, 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 in 2014. So I know how big this tournament was. And I was there when they beat Germany in the final at the Maracana for the Olympic gold. So I know how seriously they took this tournament. And I say all of that because I also know you've worked for a long time in the, in the Bafana structures. Um, when you were interim coach, the team was undefeated. You worked with a player right now, the marquee player for South Africa, Percy Tau. My question to you is this, there are various views on how his move to Europe has been. I would love to get your perspective on how you from afar have seen his move and bring in the point, should he be looking at coming back to the PSL to further his career or would you like to see him carve a path here in Europe? You know, there are two players that I've got ut utmost respect for. Um, that's, that's Percy Tau. Uh, well, he just got his degree last year. He qualified, got a BCom degree last year. Um, and then there's Keegan Dolly. These players basically, and, and I say this with all confidence and integrity, these players basically put their foot, their, they put a foot down and said, I'm going overseas. Whether someone wants it or they don't want it, whether they like it or not, I'm going overseas. And that's what Percy Tau did. It, I wouldn't say it was a forced move, but he put his foot down. And I, I, I'm, uh, uh, in fact, it went so far as, as to the fact that he, he, he stopped training. He stopped training. So he, he actually put his foot down and said, no, I want bigger things. You know, this is big money here. It's okay. But I want bigger things. I, I want to go and, and, and achieve more than what I can achieve in South Africa. And I really respect players. Even Keegan Dolly, he just put his foot down. He said, no. Um, uh, and, and by the way, he was spotted when we beat uh, Algeria. Uh, that's when the scout, the, the French scouts came uh, when we beat them in the, uh, uh, in, a, in, a, in the qualifying games. Um, that's when the scouts actually 
um, came onto him and, and started talking to him. But he, he basically, and I wish so many players could, could just do that. I don't know whether it was influenced from the agents or he'd done it from a personal perspective, but I know Keegan and both Percy Tau, when I spoke to them, he said, Coach, I'm going to Europe. I don't care what's happening. I'm going to Europe. I've done what I had to do in South Africa. I need a move. And I don't, I don't think he, he, it's, it's, it's the right time for him to come back to South Africa. I think he, he, should, he should continue. He's playing in a top, top league in, in, in Europe. I know he was on, on loan there. I don't know what, what, what is happening now with him. I haven't spoken to him uh, in some time now. Uh, but I definitely think, even if it means him going playing second division in England or whatever, um, I think he should, he should he's, he's got enormous and abundance of talent. I remember calling him up for the first time. I called him up for the first time for the under-23 team when we played against Sudan. And it was a nightmare because they took us to the north of Sudan uh, in the desert there to play a game and it was so hot, it was just unbelievable. And then um, I was also the first coach to call him up for Bafana Bafana when I was the interim coach. So I, I know so much about Percy, it's, it's, he, he's got so much talent, he could play anywhere in the world. So I, I just hope and I wish him all the luck that he, he, he gets the right move in Europe or alternatively just stays in Belgium because he's done very, very well. Thank you. We'll move it around the horn. Let's bring in Yawunde's finest, Francis Nguyen. Hey, Owen. Um, I, my own question, last question, or is, it's more like for you to share with us an experience. I mean, in this week, uh, I've been speaking with a lot of players. Um, we organized a conversation about four days ago about the 10th anniversary of Africa's first World Cup. And I have extremely uh, mixed feelings <laughs> about it all. Um, but the dominant feeling for me still remains pride. Um, because I remember in the build-up to this World Cup, the vast majority of the conversation was around security and the inability of Africans to organize a world-class tournament. So I almost forgot about the importance of the football part. And so we were all excited because we had the World Cup. I, mean, I remember even England were putting their hands up as a backup option in case people were going to be mugged in the streets of Johannesburg. And it was so patronizing. And it was so beautiful, therefore, to see this amazing tournament take place. There were no incidents. There were no major crises. Nothing off-field any which way. We had some crisis off-field with our Ghanaian-Uruguay game, which still scars my, my heart a little bit. Um, yes, uh, what I really wanted to ask was, what in, 10 years later, uh, what are your memories of this World Cup? Uh, what do you think its legacy is, as opposed to what it was supposed to be? Uh, just share with us that. Yeah, look, um, I've got mixed feelings about it. Um, first and foremost was the pride of the event, as you rightfully said, you know, uh, proving that Africa can has the capacity to to do anything that Europe can do uh, if given the opportunity. Um, so, so the pride was that's that's the thing that that sticks to my mind. Uh, with regards to uh, there are three things: there's the pride, there's the football, and then there's the legacy. So, when it comes to the football, I I, I think um, once more, you know, I I had mixed feelings about 
you know, the entire situation, our experience as, as a team, Bafana Bafana, getting into the tournament because we are hosts, that's number one. Uh, our preparation was not up to scratch, that's what I believe. I mean, uh, I, I remember the team having street, street sessions, you know, waving at crowds the day before the match. You don't see that anywhere in Europe, you know. Um, you do that a week before the time. You do that, you know, after the game. You don't do you don't do such things, uh, you know, before a match, a big match. So I think those are the things. The preparation to me, from a, a Bafana uh, um, uh, 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 point of view, um, was not up to us. Although we had a World Cup winning coach, and at the back of my mind was always going to be. What if we meet Brazil? A Brazilian coach coaching a South African team, now you meet Brazil. What happens then? You know, the Brazilians are very, very proud of their heritage. They're very, very proud of being Brazilians. And what happens when we play against Brazil? You know, so those are the small things that, that caught my eye because I, I, have, I have with the experience and I've got a bit of an understanding, although everybody can can still learn on a daily basis with regards to football, you continue learning. But I had enough experience to understand that the preparation was not spot on. Um, and then when it comes to, so I was very disappointed and I knew that sooner or later it's gonna catch up with us. Uh, although we even beat a disjointed France team uh, that had its own problems, um, I still knew that it would sooner or later to a point where it, it's just it's just going to end some somewhere very abruptly. Um, I'd been at the time I was coaching Bloemfontein Celtic in Bloemfontein, and the Spanish team had spent during the Confederations Cup. They spent the entire uh, month training in Bloemfontein. So I I went and watched the training sessions. I interacted with. I was allowed to go there because. I was a coach of a PSL team and I was an analyst for SABC. So I had the privilege of going as, an, as a journalist, not as a coach, and speaking to these people, only for them to find out that I'm a coach, which made them open up a little bit more. And just trying to get their perspective on South Africa. And they all spoke about the, the, the mental discipline. They all spoke about the abundance of talent, but the mental discipline, you know, uh, that, that, that soon catches up with you sometime or later. And then the legacy, I really thought, yes, there were buses, the Hyundai buses that were, I think there were 20 or 30 buses that were by SAFA that were distributed amongst, Afri amongst our, our African brothers. But um, for the legacy fund to be, to be expunged or utilize the way it was utilized, I find it very, 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 very poor. I find it very distasteful. I find it very unfortunate because I, I believe, um, you know, we could have done so much more, so much more. There's one, there's one problem that we, that, we, that we face seriously in Africa, and that is transport. Uh, if we have to play Mauritania, it takes us almost two days to get there, two days. It's airtime, it's flying time, it's airport time, flying time, airport time, flying time, airport time. It takes you two days to get there. But if you, if El Ahli can afford a, a charter, if it can afford its own plane, 
And that's why they've been the most successful team in Africa. Uh, they fly to Johannesburg whenever they feel like flying and, and for how long they feel they want to fly. And, and, and they control everything. Everything is within their control. By the time we get to, unfortunately, I had gone to Tunisia with the under 23 team when South Africa lost to Mauritania. I was the assistant coach, but I'd gone to, to Tunisia to play against Tunisia. We had got an invitation there. But apparently they arrived there two days later. And, and, and they slept in the, in the foyer of the hotel because there was some booking incident that happened, although it was pre-booked, there was some book, book, uh, booking incident that happened. And the next day they lost 3-1 to, to Mauritania in a qualifier. So why, why SAFA? I mean, there are, there are local um, teams that have their own planes. Patrice Motsipe has got his own plane. Um, the, the guy from Royal Eagles has got his own plane. Uh, um, um, so, you know, uh, uh, I, I believe Ivan Kosa, uh, the chairman has got his, uh, of Orlando Pirates, has got his own plane, although they don't utilize it for the team. But, you know, our biggest challenge has been the traveling. The first, the first year when we qualified for the um, uh, African Cup of Nations, we went unbeaten, unbeaten, because they were charging flights for us. We could fly whenever we want, a special flight with the team and the journalists. We could fly and we could fly back immediately because then you had to play the Saturday and you had to play the Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday. So we could go to Congo, play Congo, fly back and play Nigeria on Wednesday. We were unbeaten because the traveling arrangements were spot on. And, and now Bafana Bafana are struggling because they have to fly like passengers. They fly from here to Ethiopia, Ethiopia to, to uh, Ghana, Ghana to Senegal, Senegal to, 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 to wherever, uh, Gambia, Gambia to, to Mauritania, you know? And so it's, it's, it, it becomes unattractive for players to come from Europe to want to play for Bafana because they're more tired of traveling than actually playing the game. Um, and, and I think that's a big challenge in Africa, not only for South Africa, for the African teams. But I mean, surely you could have, you could have uh, 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 acquired some sort of a charter or some agreement with some, some just to help Stuart Baxter, the, the current to fly and, uh, and, 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 and play un, under good conditions. It's, um, it's similar to, I mean, I don't know how they can have a similar solution in Africa, but Brazil and Uruguay, they play their international games in Europe because it, they want to help their players and reduce their traveling time. So they could, there could be kind of a similar concept where there's neutral venues or something like that to help countries who, as you said, takes two days to get yeah. to, to other countries. So yeah, most definitely. Most and, and I think uh, and to add on to the question um, on how the success of the World Cup, I think do you, do you see that Africa could hold another World Cup? You know, would they be would they be able to successfully hold another one? Um, and in Morocco, wanted to hold the the one with, uh, which was they were beaten by the US. But could Africa hold another one right now? Are they in preposition two? Um, and would it actually be helpful, given the huge costs associated with it? I I definitely think a, a country like Morocco they are a tourist destination of note. Um, there's no doubt in my mind that they have the capacity and with the support from, you know, brotherhood, you, you, you can't take anything away from unity and brotherhood. With the support from South Africa, the experiences we had 
and they support Morocco. We all support Morocco. We, we all come to the party. Um, I, 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 I clearly, I clearly, without doubt, believe that uh, Morocco can can host a, uh, a World Cup. There's, there's, there's no doubt in my mind about that. It's, it's a great uh, country, and, and it seems they have a lot of infrastructure already available um, and, and good football heritage. So hopefully, we can bid again. Another World Cup in Africa, boys. We're all going, and Francis is paying. Um, <laughs> um, he's he's quiet, so I'm taking that as a yes. Um, Owen, you've been so generous with your time. We've loved speaking to you. I'm going to give the final question to to Courtney Freeze. But before I go there, I'm actually going to come in like the hard tackling right back I was for Rose Glen FC. In the under-14s, I held the record for the most number of red cards because I was a rugby player in a football shirt. Jeez. I think you didn't get a spirit award then. Oh, no! Don't Well, this is where we're going before we give Courtney. So, Owen, Courtney had a very decorated playing career, but his proudest achievement in England was for his football team in Greys, where he won the Spirit Cup. You know, it's for the team, man. That was what Courtney won. But before we get Courtney's reaction, <laughs> Owen, I know you coached in South Africa. I know you're aware of Manning Rangers. Do you have any memory of Courtney Freeze? We spoke to a Manning Rangers fan, and he said Courtney Freeze was the full Neville. The full well, Neville of Manning Rangers before there was full Neville. My, my, my career was too brief to have a memory. <laughs> I'm wondering if Owen remembers. I do, in fact, I spoke to Clinton Larson the other day, and he remembers you very, very fondly. Oh, a very, very dear friend of mine. Uh, he was, he was, you know, I was very fortunate to take him to Celtics as my uh, assistant coach, yeah. and I vouched that when I leave Celtics, he must become the head coach. And he's been head coach in five different PSL teams since But I do remember Courtney, you know, he's like his uncles. Um, yes. His one uncle is, is working with me at Highlands Park. And these, these guys, it's either you or the ball. You'll kick the living daylight out of <laughs> Rugby ability. <laughs> and you know what? That is a perfect place where we'll end it today. So, Owen, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for being so generous with your time. We've certainly learned a lot. And to the boys, Courtney, Ahmed, Francis, always a pleasure getting here and kicking the ball around with you. Now, guys, don't forget that you can hit us up on social media, OTW underscore podcast. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram or on Facebook. Just search for On The Whistle Podcast. Salagashle, everyone. Ciao for now.